The following is a lesson in a series on life, liberty, and property brought to you by Republic Keepers and is presented and discussed by the Attorney General of the Republic State of Texas, Chaplain Raymond. This lesson discusses a book by the same name, Life, Liberty, and Property, written by Charles A. Wiseman, of which can be purchased at his website, seek-info.com, at amazon.com, or small bookstores such as Brave New Books in Austin, Texas. The ISBN number for this book is 0-966-8921-9-4. Life, Liberty, and Property is an educational series for sovereign souls on the dry land, and the information about fundamental law and the unwritten constitution cannot be utilized by those individuals that are domiciled in the District of Columbia. To understand your domicile status, please review the two constitutions, two domiciles document on republickeepers.com. We hope you enjoy this lesson on life, liberty, and property. Yes, this is Chaplain Raymond. We're uh, continuing our course on life, liberty, and property, which is taken from the manual by Charles Weisman. And uh, we are continuing today with Chapter 3. Now, before we get started, I need to read this little disclaimer which says, the following information about fundamental law and the unwritten constitution cannot be utilized by those individuals that are domiciled in the District of Columbia. To understand your domiciled status, please review the two constitutions, two domiciles documents in this website, in the record, uh, Republic Keepers website. Now, today we're going to look at the political conflict over liberty. Now, this is the one that really uh, drove it home for me. Chuck, while I'm thinking about it, there, there is an interaction between webinar and Adobe Reader. It slows down when I get in the webinar. Mm. Otherwise, my scrolling is fast. Okay. The political conflict over liberty. The phrase, life, liberty, and property, is a very powerful term. It has been a very influential factor in social, political, economic, and religious changes and events throughout history. This is understandable when we realize that the term represents not only all the various rights of an individual, but everything that can be regarded as of value or importance to physical existence. When the phrase is coupled with, quote, due process of law, unquote, or, quote, the law of the land, unquote, it specifically highlights the limitations of the powers of the government in relation to such rights. Life, liberty, and property thus stands at the forefront of all conflicts between people and governments. I'm going to repeat that. Life, liberty, and property thus stands at the forefront of all conflicts between people and governments. We can look at any political upheaval revolution, or change in government, and it has some relationship to life, 
liberty, and property. This is because the term represents power and wealth for those who have control over it. Now we're going to start with conflicts down through history, so we will start with those that occurred in biblical history. We're not presenting this as a religion. We're presenting this as facts. Let us, let us examine some of those conflicts in history, starting with biblical history. When the Israelites were in Egypt, the Pharaoh had much control over their life, liberty, and property. They could not do any work they wanted, but had to do the work assigned to them by Pharaoh and his aides. The Israelites had limited property rights and did not have the liberty to leave Egypt. The Exodus was, in essence, a restoration of the rights of life, liberty, and property back into the control of the people, and it severely hurt the existing government. Thus, Pharaoh had done everything possible to prevent the Exodus of the people because he stood to lose control of an extremely valuable thing, the life, liberty, and property of the people. It was primarily the labor, primarily the labor of the people he wanted, as it represented a valuable asset or property. Pharaoh allowed his nation to be brought into ruins before he was willing to let go of this valuable resource. Another biblical incident surrounding a conflict over life, liberty, and property is found in 2 Chronicles 10 in the Bible. The incident starts with the death of King Solomon and the crowning of his son Rehoboam as king in 2 Chronicles 9.31. As soon as Rehoboam was made king, some of the men of Israel came to him and said, quote, your father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, ease somewhat the grievous servitude of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. Unquote. Rehoboam said he would consider the request. He went to the, quote, old men, old, unquote, for counsel, and they said to be kind to the people and speak good words to them, and they will serve you. Then Rehoboam then went to the young men for advice, who said he should put heavier burdens upon the people than what his father had done. The apparent reason was to have more control over the life, liberty, and property of the people, and thus more power and wealth. Rehoboam thus forsook the counsel of the old men and answered the people after the advice of the young men, saying, quote, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add thereto. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. At Second Chronicles 10.14 When the people saw that the king would not listen to their requests, they formed a revolution against the king and his government 
And it is written, quote, And Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. Second Chronicles 10.19 King Rehoboam was going to force the people to work long, hard hours for him. He was going to place heavier taxes on the people and put more oppressive laws upon them and harsher punishments if they did not abide by the laws. Rehoboam was seeking greater control of the life, liberty, and property of the people. But instead, the king lost half of his kingdom due to his threatened oppression of the people's life, liberty, and property. Now, the pages of secular history have many accounts of the conflict between the people and government over life, liberty, and property. The history of Rome is one instance. In 753 B.C., Rome was founded by Romulus. The people that settled in this part of Italy were of Israelite Phoenician stock, as indicated by their alphabet and artifacts. The little kingdom grew in size and importance through the reign of seven kings until the tyranny of Tarquinius Superbus drove the people to take the government into their own hands and establish a republic in 509 B.C. The Roman Republic formed was designed to protect the life, liberty, and property of every citizen. Now, more pertinent to our situation is the English law and the history there. In English history, the foundation of the customs and law that protected life, liberty, and property began with the migration of the Saxons in the 5th and 6th centuries. They brought with them the common law and established it in England. They formed the judicial system and the mode of trial by jury. Principles of government were established, which included certain due process procedures in guarding life, liberty, and property. The contest over life, liberty, and property in England primarily began with the Norman conquest in the 11th century. When the Saxon King Edward was on his deathbed, he decreed that Harold, the Earl of Wessex should reign after him. But the Normans claimed Edward had promised that their Duke William, who was a distant kinsman, should reign after him. When William heard of Harold's accession to the throne, he sent a message to the king asserting his right to the throne. Harold gave a rough refusal. Then William decided to appeal to the sword. In September 1066, he sailed with a fleet of seven, several hundred ships to England. Harold, with his army, met William just outside Hastings. On the eve of the battle, one history book says, The Saxons spent the night in feasting and song, the Normans in prayer and confession. The battle that followed lasted all day and into the night, with heavy losses on both sides. But William finally prevailed, and Harold was killed. A monkey's chronicler, in speaking of the conquest, says, The vices of the Britons had made 
had made many of them effeminate and womanish. Wherefore it came to pass that running against Duke William, they lost themselves and their country in one battle. Well, lesson here is that a people who are caught up in entertainment and merrymaking and allow an effeminate lifestyle to exist in the land are less likely to be in a position to protect their life, liberty, and property from attack. Such people are bound to lose their rights and country, as was the case with the Britons. William's rule was not popular, as he had no qualms about using the most harsh measures to quell any opposition. He established his nobles in the various regions to rule and govern the people. These Norman nobles ruled the people harshly, which caused many of them to be secretly assassinated. William tried to punish the people in the region where the nobles were killed, but the assassinations continued. The people found this measure necessary in order to protect their life, liberty, and property from oppression. When William died, his son William Rufus succeeded him. He used the most oppressive and unscrupulous kings to plunder both the church and the people. As a result, he was secretly assassinated. This brought William's other son, Henry, to the throne in 1100 A.D. But foreseeing a renewal of the contest with the barons and knowing of all the secret assassinations and the reasons for them, Henry had issued a charter of liberties upon his accession. By this charter, Henry bound himself to the law and promised to reform the, the abuses of his brother. He promised to give back to the people the law of King Edward. By this charter, life, liberty, and property were again secure during Henry's 35-year reign. The most significant event surrounding life, liberty, and property in English history occurred during the reign of King John and involved the Magna Carta. John was one of the worst kings in English history. His rise to the throne was by usurpation. His older brother's son, Arthur, actually had the rightful claim to the throne, and this claim was asserted. John thus had Arthur imprisoned, and he thereafter mysteriously disappeared. The welfare of the nation and the rights of the people took a turn for the worse with the reign of King John. John's oppressive acts were recorded in one English history textbook as follows. John's tyranny, brutality, and disregard of his subjects' welfare had gone too far. He had refused the church both the right to fill its offices and to enjoy its revenues. He had extorted exorbitant sums from the barons. He had violated the charters of London and other cities. He had compelled merchants to pay large sums for the privilege of carrying on their business unmolested. 
He had imprisoned men on false or frivolous charges and refused to bring them to trial. He had unjustly claimed heavy sums from serfs and other poor men, and when they could not pay, had seized their carts and tools, thus depriving them of their means of livelihood. Unquote. During his reign, John continually lost the respect and the love of all classes of the people. He was untruthful, dishonest, treacherous, profane, and tyrannical, and therefore had neither the support of the clergy nor the people. When John gave in to certain, certain demands of the Pope and issued a formal acknowledgment of his feudal dependence on the Pope for England and Ireland, it branded him as disloyal in the eyes of the barons and the clergy and the people. Due to the cowardly, disloyal, oppressive, and unjust acts of King John, and fearing the continued growth of corrupt royal authority, the discontented barons and churchmen prepared themselves to deal with the king the only way they knew, by force of arms. In the summer of 1213, the council was held at St. Albans, near London, composed of representatives from all parts of the kingdom. It was the first assembly of its kind on record. It convened to consider what claims should be made on the king in the interest of the nobles, the clergy, and the country. Using the charter granted by Henry I as a model, they drew up a new one of similar character, but in every respect fuller and stronger in its provisions regarding the rights of the people and the checks against the crown. In the new charter, they specified the rights of the people, the limitations upon the king, and adherence to the common law, and a decree of due process procedure in dealing with the rights of the people. In the words of one historian, quote, It was determined by those present to demand from the king a return to the old laws of the country, unquote. Their basic intent in doing so was to protect their life, liberty, and property. In the autumn of 1214, the barons met in the Abbey Church in Suffolk, where they solemnly swore that they would oblige John to accept the new charter, or they would declare a war against him. For the first time in English history, a united demand was made upon a king. But John refused their offer. Thus the barons gathered their forces and marched through the Midlands, gathering adherents from among the nobility, and finally proceeded to London, where the citizens opened the gates of the city to them. The city was now in their control, forcing John to seek refuge at Oxford. On Easter 1215, the barons, attended by 2,000 armed knights, confronted the king at Oxford and made known to him their demands. 
John tries to evade giving a direct answer. Evade giving a direct answer. However, seeing that to be impossible and realizing that London was on the side of the barons, he yielded and asked them to name the day and place for the ratification of the charter. The reply was, let the day be the 15th of June, the place Runnymede. The document which was signed by King John and which bears the royal seal was henceforth known as Magna Carta, or the Great Charter, a term used to emphatically distinguish it from all previous and partial charters. By the charter, the king promised to acknowledge the freedom of the church, to respect the traditional laws and customs of England, and to recognize the public grievance committee established to assure that his promise was kept. But King John had no sooner set his hand to this document than he determined to repudiate it. He hired bands of mercenaries to come to his aid. In the battle that ensued with the barons, King John was killed. Pope Innocent III was also, also used his influence and threatened to excommunicate the barons if they persisted in enforcing the provisions of the charter. The Pope's nullification of Magna Carta had revived the civil war with which had now ended with John's death in October 1216. The incidents surrounding King John and Magna Carta showed for all time that if a king did not rule as the people wished and respect the law of the land and the rights of the people, he could be made to do so by force. Is this where it was to end? Chuck? Yes, well, let's see. It's supposed to end on... Um Yes, that's correct. So tomorrow we'll continue with law above government. That's where we're headed here with this history. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to stop the recording um, of the text, but we're now going to, after he stops it, we will restart it because people have suggested that we record the answers that are given during the question and answer period.